If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. You may have heard about this United Auto Workers strike. Well, now Ford has decided to halt moving forward with their battery plant. And my guest today would tell you this is a good thing because of the connection to the Chinese Communist Party. Congressman Mike Gallagher, who represents Wisconsin's 8th District and serves as chairman of the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, joins me today. Welcome, Congressman. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you here in the midst of this. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. This is uh, called cattle. It came to Michigan. Even um, Governor Youngkin said, I won't have this in Virginia because I don't want the connection to the Chinese Communist Party. But Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, said, no, no, we welcome them here. We want Ford to be able to partner with them. But now this snafu with the auto workers striking seems to have caused Ford a little uh, pause on moving forward with plants in the state of Michigan. But you would say this is a good thing. Can you explain to us what your concern is with cattle? Well, quickly, I think it's important to understand um, where cattle emerged from, because I think it kind of provides a microcosm into our entire fraught economic relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. The original technology was actually developed in America uh, at the University of Texas and then at MIT. And it was a company called A123 that received massive state and federal subsidies. The Obama administration gave it millions and millions of dollars. And yet it still found its way into bankruptcy. You're talking about battery technology? Yeah, battery battery technology company, A123. And then cattle purchased the company. And then cattle, because it has even more generous subsidies from the state, from the Chinese Communist Party, about $400 million in 2022, was able to survive and become really a dominant battery company globally. So this kind of tells you everything you need to know about what China has done to our economy, specifically the industrial Midwest, like states like yours and mine, um, over the last two decades, which is because of a mix of 
aggressive practices like intellectual property theft because of subsidies from the state. Uh, it's able to compete on an unlevel playing field with American companies, steal our best technology, and then dominate critical supply chains and critical industries. So now fast forward to the present day and the risk, and, and I went to Detroit and I met with Ford and I met with a variety of automakers there to express my concern. The risk, in my opinion, is taking cattle's dominant position in the global battery market and making it even more dominant. And you have to understand mm. that with that dominance, the Chinese Communist Party could weaponize it going forward. Imagine if we found ourselves in a confrontation with China over Taiwan and they threatened to cut off the export of batteries or shut down certain facilities. It could bring us to our knees. They've threatened to do that um, in the early parts of the pandemic with advanced pharmaceutical ingredients. So for that and, and many other reasons, I, I thought the, the deal was very risky. I think that was our big shock when we hit the pandemic, all of the things that we are reliant on from China. But I think pharmaceuticals were the biggest eye opener for people because I come from the manufacturing world. So I had seen even us building military vehicles that were waiting on a few pieces to come in from China, you know, and we're going, I mean, 80% by America is still, you can't get a hundred percent of a vehicle, you know, this is still pretty scary. But then when you actually threaten people's healthcare, Everybody takes that a little differently, but it seems as as we've gotten away from the pandemic, it's sort of the fear of not having these capabilities in the United States solely for the United States has sort of worn off. But we had this happen. This came to Michigan. We had people saying that this is a Chinese company. Ford came out and said, no, no, we're going to take care of this. It's going to be us. I think something you said to me was fascinating just now. You said that we developed this technology and it went to China. So are you saying that the technology of batteries for this type of electric vehicle was developed in the United States, but we look at this and we see that China has complete control over these rare earth minerals over the process. How did we lose that control? Well, the story about uh, rare earths is, I think, really a, a story about stupid regulation uh, in, in the United States uh, and self-defeating regulation. Because the rare earths, if you study the deposits internationally, they're not rare. We have enormous deposits of critical minerals, rare earths. The problem is we've effectively made it illegal to mine those deposits and process those deposits. We have basically one national champion, a company called MP Materials, that sits on the California-Nevada border uh, that was grandfathered in and thus able to continue to mine. They're trying to build a processing facility in Texas, but it's extraordinarily difficult. In Minnesota, we have enormous deposits for a lot of the critical minerals we need. But over time, we just we, we built a, an ossified, onerous regulatory environment. There are environmental concerns uh, with the, the processes involved. I get that. But the thing I, I think you're, you're, even your sort of center-left American needs to understand is that we would do it much cleaner in the United States than almost anywhere else in the world, and certainly in China. Well, aren't they really getting these out of Africa using children for, for labor there? I mean, because that's what we're hearing. So maybe I'm telling tales out of school, but if that's the case, I feel like this is something we should talk about. Yeah, well, they're also using, if you sort of examine the supply chain for solar panel uh, subcomponents and battery subcomponents, a lot of it goes back to the Xinjiang Autonomous Region, where there is an ongoing genocide. Uh, and that's not just my determination. That's the determination of both the Trump administration and the Biden administration. And uh, I think at a minimum, if a company like Ford is going to do a deal using Inflation Reduction Act dollars, taxpayer dollars with a company like Cattle, 
uh, they should be forced to answer hard questions about cattle's problematic history when it comes to its connection to Xinjiang and forced labor in Xinjiang Autonomous Region. So this is really the irony and tragedy of our entire, of the entire energy policy under the Biden administration. We're surrendering what should be one of our greatest advantages relative to China right now, which is our energy abundance. And we're gonna make ourselves more dependent on China for batteries, battery subcomponents, and in the process implicate ourselves in egregious human rights abuses. This is actually why John Kerry was lobbying against the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act because he was afraid that the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act would compromise our ability to get solar panel subcomponents out of Xinjiang in China. The whole thing is absurd and it's self-defeating and it puts us at a massive geopolitical advantage. How, how actually advantageous are solar panels? Because suddenly we're hearing that there are there's a lot of energy that goes into producing them. They actually have chemicals that are running off the panels into seeping into the ground. Are any of these risks true? Are we just finding this out? And are we creating what we're calling clean energy that actually once we get into it and we have usage for several years, we find out maybe not so clean? I think that's a great point. I've seen compelling analysis to suggest that if you examine the entire sort of life cycle, what it takes to build not just a battery, but an entire or a solar panel or a battery, an entire electric vehicle on balance, it's not much better, if, if better at all, for for the environment. Particularly when you take into account the mining processes and some of the other negative externalities. The other question I always ask myself, though, like, let's just consider a fully formed uh, electric vehicle, for example. Um, where does the electricity come from? Um, it's not no coming one wants from to talk about that. largely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so listen, I, honestly, if someone wants to buy an electric vehicle, that's cool. Uh, I, I drove a Tesla once. It was very fun. Um, but I just don't think I, as a taxpayer or my constituents in Northeast Wisconsin, should be forced to subsidize that decision, particularly if there are, there's not clear and convincing evidence that it's better for the environment. When it comes to the environment, when it comes to climate change, the path forward to me is obvious. It's to invest in an all of the above policy that has to include nuclear technology. And the fact is the, the left currently will not discuss nuclear technology, but right now the Chinese are investing in advanced nuclear microreactor technology. And if we don't wake up, we're gonna find ourselves on the wrong end of that mm. supply chain as well. In the same way we're on the wrong end of the battery supply chain. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look at what's happening with China right now. I think that there are a lot of folks who are sounding the alarm. We've heard this for several years now, that China is really looking to take over the world. That would start with invading Taiwan. What does a, a war between the U.S. and China over an invasion of Taiwan look like? Because we're, we've heard people on both sides say, oh, they're not actually going to do that. They wouldn't risk that. But I've talked to generals who say... You're dealing with a person who is truly a dictator. This is someone who will do anything. So what are the risks? What are the risks? What does it look like? Well, uh, first on the, the tendency for particularly financial elites to discount the likelihood of an invasion. I think one of the things we learned in Ukraine is that when dictators or people in systems that are different than ours tell you they're going to do something, yes. you should probably take it seriously. Um and we just tend to do something called mirror imaging, where we graft our own value structure onto other regimes. And therefore, it seems unthinkable. Oh, of course, Xi Jinping would never invade Taiwan. It would be incredibly difficult and incredibly costly. But particularly when you're dealing with a Marxist-Leninist regime, where there's just not a lot of robust feedback loops, he could decide to do something for reasons that seem irrational to us, but could seem entirely rational for his primary goal, which is regime and party preservation. What it would look like, um, in short, it would be horrific. Um, you know, we fought wars in Afghanistan and Iraq for for two decades. It, one aircraft carrier is sunk in a in a in a war with China over Taiwan, and it would almost equal the casualties over twenty years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. The financial implications would be severe. We just did a war game. I took the select committee on the CCP to New York and we did a war game with major financial elites. And you're talking trillions of dollars lost, even in the lowest end scenario, like a blockade. So the punchline for all of this is that given the risks, given the cost and given the potential that it could escalate beyond conventional war into nuclear war, like we're talking World War Three, we should be moving heaven and earth to prevent the war in the first place. Um, we need to put in place a deterrence by denial posture such that Xi Jinping concludes 
that he cannot achieve his lifelong ambition. And reunifying Taiwan, as he calls it, with the mainland uh, is his lifelong objective. But right now, the Pentagon's moving too slow. Um, we're just not we're not even rebuilding some of the critical munitions that we're expending in Ukraine, munitions that would be relevant in Taiwan. And that's what really worries me. The balance of power continues to trend less in our favor and more of the favor of the CCP. The final thing I'm saying, and I'll start, I'm sorry to go on, is what we're seeing in China right now with the People's Liberation Army is really the biggest military buildup mm-hmm. in peacetime military buildup, at least since World War II. Right. The largest uh, Navy it, in the this world. This is something... And not even that, you're, you're totally right. It's bigger than ours by 41 hulls. And so the Navy nerds, uh, and I'm technically a naval officer, a Marine, so I can call them nerds, uh, <laughs> will say, but our ships are more, are more capable. Well, at some point, quantity has a quality all of its own. And their most advanced ships are quite capable. And it's actually, they have the three largest navies in the world if you factor in their Coast Guard and their maritime militia, both of which would be relevant to an invasion of Taiwan. So it's incredibly troubling, which is why we need to, we need to invest in a more lethal um, and capable military before it's too late. Well, let me ask you this. So we were speaking to some folks in the know, and they say that Joe Biden had committed, or that Taiwan had actually purchased jets from us. The, the purchase went through. We have the money. We were supposed to deliver the jets. Joe Biden can put them on hold without getting approval from, from Congress. He, he can't cancel the order, but now these jets have been on hold for three years. We don't actually know what's happening. Did they go to Ukraine? Is sending munitions and uh, weapons over to Ukraine depleting us in a way that it makes us vulnerable for China going into Taiwan? What does all of this mean when you see that Joe Biden is going against Congress holding jets and nobody seems to know about this? Well, I think it reveals something obvious, which is our entire foreign military sales process is broken. Uh, beyond the jets, look at since 2015, we've developed a nearly $20 billion backlog of items that have been approved and purchased by Taiwan, but not delivered. And quite honestly, what's wow. even more important than jets, I mean, $20 billion. I mean, some of these go back to 2015 um, for anti-ship missiles, which I would argue are even more relevant to deterring a Chinese invasion of Taiwan mm-hmm. than fancy jets that sit on a runway and might get blown up in the first hours of a war. Anti-ship missiles, harpoon anti-ship missiles. Some of these aren't going to arrive until 2027. That's going to be too late. It's crazy, the backlog that has been delivered. We have harpoons in our own stockpiles that we're going to put into deep storage. We, it's called demilling. We pay money in order to kind of deactivate them and we put them into a, a storage shed somewhere. I'm simplifying, but that's effectively what happens. Uh, we could take those. We could MacGyver them, for lack of a better term, and deliver those to <laughs> Taiwan. All it takes is uh, a little bit of creativity and leadership from the Department of Defense. As for the question between Ukraine and Taiwan, in certain systems, yes, they're needed in both Ukraine and Taiwan. But harpoons, for example, are more relevant in Taiwan than Ukraine. However, if we don't, as I alluded to before, learn the lesson of Ukraine in order to rebuild our stockpiles of critical missiles, critical munitions, then we're going to be in a very difficult situation in both Taiwan and Ukraine, uh, because that's the lesson, really. It's we, we went through so many of these munitions early in the war in Ukraine because for years we just don't. These are these are less sexy items that tend not to get the same attention as a fancy jet. And so they don't get the budget priority. But really, for a modest investment of money relative to the overall Pentagon budget, we're talking 10 billion dollars a year. You could rebuild our arsenal of deterrence 
and in the process, give us a better chance of avoiding a war in the first place. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've heard a few different theories on Ukraine. Of course, we have the folks that say we shouldn't do anything in Ukraine at all. We should, they, this is their fight. We shouldn't get involved in it. We have folks who are saying, I mean, Nikki Haley has come out and said, I would never give money to Ukraine, but I would give them weapons and I would give them what they need to fight a war. And then you have other folks who are saying, just continue to push the money through, push the money through, push the money through. And some people feel like that's untraceable. We don't really know what's happening. Our taxpayer dollars are going over there. We don't really know what's happening. When you look at the situation with Ukraine, certainly it is a volatile situation. They get through Ukraine, they go to Poland, and we know that Putin has been talking to Xi Jinping. We know they've been talking to North Korea. You get Iran, uh, China, North Korea, and Russia together. That's a pretty dangerous combination. So what? how serious is the situation in Ukraine, and what should the American people be thinking when it comes to supporting Ukraine? 
It's very serious. Um, it could still escalate uh, in ways that we should be uh, cognizant of. Um, I, I understand the skepticism in the Republican Party when it comes to Ukraine, and I don't dismiss it. And a lot of it, I think, comes from the Democratic. Well, two things, I think. The, the absence of a coherent plan from the Biden administration or the inability of the president himself to articulate what the end state is, which is not great. And in fact, at the same time, they're blaming Republicans for holding up Ukraine funding. They went to the G20 and released a watered down statement that was basically a gift to Russia. So that doesn't do a lot to generate support for continued uh, Ukraine funding. So I understand that skepticism. And I would say no one should get a blank check, right? Our own military doesn't right. get a blank check. The Ukraine's military, it, do, it doesn't get a blank check. My wife doesn't get a blank. Well, my wife gets a blank check. But other than that, nobody gets <laughs> like, a blank. I'm like, whoa, watch yeah, it, yeah, buddy. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Scratch that for the you. record. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so there needs to be robust oversight. We need to have a full accounting of all the weapons we provided thus far in a sense that they're being used well and responsibly. And then we can consider future packages of clinical assistance. The second thing I would say is I do think it's fair for us to encourage, indeed demand, that certain European countries, particularly the Western European countries, step up. And if they're uncomfortable in terms of providing weapons, they can fill the gap when it comes to humanitarian assistance and, you know, they can pay the teacher pensions in Ukraine while we provide the weapons. The third point is most important, I, I think, which is what I alluded to before, which is that this should be an opportunity for us to fix the deficiencies in our own munitions and industrial base, our defense industrial base, so that we are in a better position to deter a war in other theaters. When it comes to the connection between Taiwan and Ukraine, yes, I do believe that we have to take this no limits partnership between Xi and Putin seriously. The one thing, however, that makes yeah. our, our in a, that makes it impossible for us to um, to execute our war plans with respect to Taiwan is if Russia launched a simultaneous attack against NATO. And right now, I believe we've degraded the Russian military in Ukraine such that their conventional military threat to NATO is non-existent. So I actually believe that if we can shape the outcome in Ukraine in a way that um, uh, protects the, the integrity of Ukraine. Obviously, I don't think Crimea is going back to Ukraine anytime soon and also induces panic in Beijing. We can actually enhance our geopolitical position. I get that it's a difficult balance to strike, but that's the nature of geopolitics. Do you think that the rest of the world thinks that a Joe Biden is capable of this? I mean, we see him at the G20 saying that he needs to go to bed. We see him fumbling names constantly. He doesn't seem to be uh, in command. He's walking with a Zelensky through the the Rose Garden and Zelensky is dressed down. It seems very much like we are being controlled by other people. I would say most people are feeling like that. But what is your sense on the world stage? I hate to be um, maybe rude or uncharitable to the commander in chief, but I mean, Biden, he's just too old. Uh, I mean, he's just clearly lost a step. And what we saw in, in Vietnam, I, I think, further proved that point. And so I, I do think it undermines the credibility of our deterrent posture when you have a commander in chief that says contradictory things. Uh, for example, what he said in Vietnam was troubling. I mean, he went out there and said, well, don't worry about China. China has economic yeah. problems and therefore it's less likely they're going to invade Taiwan. Uh, okay. Well, he or, came out and said he'd like to see them succeed. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. What signal does that send to our allies? What signal does that send to our, our allies in Asia in particular? 
Um, but obviously, like the reverse could be true as China experiences domestic, economic and demographic problems. They could get more aggressive uh, on the world stage. Right. It's, it's called diversionary war theory. So for the president to go out there and say that really undermines our deterrent posture. And uh, Biden, I was I did the math on this recently. Um, I believe Biden is so old that he's not even a boomer. I think he's a member of the silent generation. In fact, Biden is older than the People's Republic of China itself, which was established in 1949. <laughs> and I think Biden was established Jeez, in 1940, 1942. So I'm biased, I guess, as a relatively younger member of Congress, but I'd like to see a generational shift. And um, one final point, I'm sorry to go on. Um, really, maybe a more fair criticism is, is that the Biden administration's revival of diplomatic and economic engagement with China as really the foundation of our foreign policy is naive, it's misguided, it's counterproductive. Um, we've had four cabinet secretaries go to Beijing in the last few months. We have nothing to show for it. All we've done is slow the defensive action we need to take to defend ourselves against Chinese Communist Party aggression. And so that, that policy choice uh, honestly worries me even more. You know, I always find it fascinating to see all of these people come out and defend China. And obviously, we've been talking about cattle here in Michigan. We've also been talking about Goshen in Michigan. And so we've we've hit pretty hard on having CCP operatives in our state. I do not want the Chinese Communist Party in the, uh, one of our states that has our highest resource of water, right? I don't, I just don't want that, but I don't want them in our state regardless. And so we've gotten a lot of criticism for that, but it shocks me that we don't have people like LeBron James and these bleeding heart liberals coming out and saying, how could you possibly get in bed with a country that commits the human rights offenses that happen in China? I mean, even if you were a little naive to what they do and it's ugly, but even if you were naive to the child labor and everything else, you saw what happened in COVID. I mean, we all have those images in our minds of people being stopped on the side of the road with the guys in the full white outfits. And they're like, what happened to that person? They get thrown in the back of a van and you're like, I mean, I, it's not funny. It's like, we really don't know what they did to people who had COVID and no one is willing to actually dig deep into that. So I just think I appreciate what you do every day. I appreciate the fact that you talk truth to what's happening with the Chinese Communist Party and the dangers to the United States of America. And honestly, that you are willing to come out and, and speak truth about what's happening in the White House. So I thank you. I thank you for being on the podcast here today. Congressman Gallagher, we're going to catch up with you again because I know more is going to happen with these Chinese plants that are coming into the country. Well, it was a real pleasure to be with you. Um, I don't often say nice things about Michiganders. Uh, and I have to remind you that <laughs> Michigan stole the Upper Peninsula from Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> there was a war between Michigan and Ohio over Toledo and Congress solved it. Andrew Jackson. I was going to say, well, what yeah. did you think? We wanted Toledo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we got robbed of territory that should be Wisconsin territory. So I've made it my life's ambition to take it back. That's my actual objective. Uh, but there, yeah. there is a bit of a war still between Ohio and Michigan. Not sure if you've heard, yeah. but it continues today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. That might me. be just on football teams. Indeed. But Indeed. Yes, thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Check out TudorDixonPodcast.com or go to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time. Have a blessed day. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.